0: in this episode of Boss Files.
1: I'm uniquely qualified to do this. I have to do it for the sisterhood. I have to help create a great place to work.
0: Dallas Mavericks CEO Cynthia Marshall. She's the first African-American woman ever to lead an NBA team. She was handpicked by team owner Mark Cuban and tasked with cleaning up a toxic work environment. An independent investigation later found, quote, numerous acts of sexual harassment that spanned over two decades in the Mavericks.
1: I walked into a bad culture. I walked into a place where uh, the women were not valued and treated the way I would like to see them treated. Uh, so we had a problem with how we treated women. Frankly, I think we had a problem with how we uh, uh, respected and treated people of color. And it wasn't a very diverse uh, and inclusive environment when I got there. And so we needed to, to do some things.
0: She's fulfilled her 100-day plan to turn around the team's leadership, taking the organization from no women in leadership to 50%. She tells me she is committed to making her employees the top priority. I want them to
1: feel like this, the Dallas Mavericks is the best place to work on the planet. And to, in order to do that, you got to talk to them. I mean, my first 100 days, I met one-on-one with every
0: single employee. Plus, Marshall's remarkable personal journey, how her faith is her North Star, and how she has endured unimaginable loss. I've learned literally how to give my problems
1: to the Lord. I mean, that's where my strength comes from. It comes from above. I'd be a mess. I mean, I would just be a total mess mm-hmm. trying to handle
0: all this by myself. I, I couldn't deal with it. She beat cancer and defied all the odds. Here's my conversation with Cynthia Marshall. I am so thrilled to be sitting here with you, Cynthia Sint Marshall, because that's what you like to go by. Heaven Sint. Heaven (laughs) Sint. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Let's start at the Mavs and what you're building and doing now, and this transformation, and then let's back up into your extraordinary life. Okay. So just to begin, this is the last place that you thought that you would be, retiring from AT&T, our parent company, Yes. and working with Mark Cuban yes, and an NBA team, the Dallas Mavs. It's crazy. Why would you say yes? I
1: said yes for the sisterhood. Uh, I said yes because after I met with him and then some of the women grabbed me on the way out the door because I hadn't decided yet, uh, and they told me their stories. And they told me about the climate. And I got in the car, and I talked to my husband. I went home, and I prayed about it. Mm -hmm. And I said, actually, I'm uniquely qualified to do this. I have to do it for the sisterhood. I have to help create a great place to work.
0: You are the first female African-American CEO of an NBA team. Yes.
1: Why did it take so damn long? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I won't be the last. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I will not be the last. I don't know why it takes so long.
0: Because the Dallas Observer has said of you, you are the, quote, most important acquisition since they drafted Dirk (laughs) Nowitzki. That's like a lot of pressure. Well, that's what they said. I don't know if. I don't oh, come know. On. I don't know.
1: We have some own great, it. we have some great ball players. I mean, I, I own the fact that we have turned around the culture and I didn't do it by myself. I brought some folks in with me. We promoted some people. Uh, we created a great diverse leadership team, but yeah, I own it.
0: Let's tell people who aren't, who may not be familiar with the, the crisis that was the Dallas Mavericks not that long ago right. and the culture crisis and what, you know, a number of people there had gone through. Let me just read you from to our, to our listeners from the Sports Illustrated investigation, which uncovered all of this, quote, a corporate culture rife with misogyny and predatory sexual behavior, alleged public fondling by the team president, outright domestic assault by a high-profile member of the Mavs.com staff, unsupportive or even intimidating responses from superiors who heard complaints of inappropriate behavior from their employees, even an employee who openly watched pornography at his desk. One former employee called it, quote, a real life animal house. Is that what you walked
1: into? Uh, I walked into a bad culture. I walked into a place where uh, the women were not valued and treated the way I would like to see them treated. Uh, So we had a problem with how we treated women. Frankly, I think we had a problem with how we uh, uh, respected and treated people of color. And it wasn't a very diverse uh, and inclusive environment when I got there. And so we needed to, to do some things. So, yeah, I walked into a place that is not the place uh, that people are walking into right now.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about how you saw people of color in the in the office being treated? Because I heard you say that in another interview, and I think a lot of the press was about women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you, as an African-American, saw a real issue here with how minorities were being treated.
1: Right. Well, and, and part of it was the absence, the absence of people of color at the leadership table, uh, the absence of... Um, what I perceived to be people of color in middle management. Uh, so there was just a culture that catered to white men. Mm-hmm. And I had a leadership team that was all white men, which of course now is 50% women and 47% people of color. So we made some changes there. Uh, oh, so I mean, it was A lot a, of changes. Yeah, there. a lot of changes. A lot of changes. Um, so I noticed that when I walked in the door, mm-hmm. uh, what was missing because I'm used to working in a very diverse and inclusive environment. And so this was very different. Uh, from what I was used to.
0: Right. I mean, you had that at, at AT&T. Again, you were head of diversity at the company for, for a long time, and you had a different experience. You had bosses who told you, I want you to go out of your way yes. to elevate minorities.
1: Exactly. And a boss who uh, gave a big speech at one point in time, Randall Stevenson, about moving from tolerance to understanding. Our big boss. Now. Yes, big boss. So we had a big focus uh, on all people, And I just didn't see it, the folks represented, I didn't see the representation that needed to be there. And that's just on the surface. And then, of course, inclusion is another whole part of that. And so I just didn't see it. And we just said, okay, let's lay out a plan. Uh, We laid out a 100-day plan
0: and executed on it. So, I mean, you you put so much on the line by saying yes. You didn't need the money. You had this sort of picture-perfect career. You were in retirement. You could have just ridden off into the sunset, enjoyed the time with your husband, with your kids. You didn't. No. Mark Cuban calls you. Rumor has it you are wearing a Golden State Warriors sweatshirt and Steph Curry sock when Mr. Mavs calls you. True? That,
1: that is correct.
0: <laughs> that is correct. Yes, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah.
1: So usually when I'm at home, I wasn't traveling for my consulting business that week. And so usually when I'm home, and this was in the past, I would either, I would either have on Cal Berkeley sweats and a baseball cap, yeah. tennis shoes, all that, or Golden State Warriors. And so that's what I had on. And, and now, so now you are
0: head to toe for people who can't see you. Yes. You are head Mavs. to toe in Mavs blue. Mavs blue, black, silver, gray. Mavs. True, you really didn't know who Mark Cuban was? That is true. Have you turned on the television? <laughs> Do you
1: ever watch Shark Tank? Yeah, but Have when you I you turn on the TV, basketball? I'm watching MSNBC, <laughs> oh, no, CNN. No, 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 you're not. You're only watching no, CNN. No, <laughs> CNN. I'm watching everything, okay? I'm watching the news is basically what <laughs> Fair I'm watching. Enough. And then I watch uh, football. Yeah. Now, of course, I watch basketball. Sure. Uh, but... I didn't know him and my husband had to tell me who he was and he said Shark Tank I said okay I've never seen Shark Tank he said okay owner of the Mavericks I said okay the kids have gone to a Mavericks game I have oh my goodness and so I got a chance to know him that day what did he say to he you he didn't know me either though I mean somebody
0: recommended me yeah to he him, knew so. of you yes what yes. um what'd he say
1: I walked in his office, and, well, he greeted me at the door, and he just, he looked broken. I mean, he looked as if, you know,
0: he looked like he had been crying. Well, he and called you, and he's later. like, I need, will you come?
1: Yeah, he said, he did, well, he sent me text messages. Then when we finally called him back, because I actually thought it was the kids, like, texting me for money, so That's I told my husband to handle it. so that. funny. And so when he told me who he was, I called him, and he said, I'm having a crisis, and I'd like to see you today. Uh, your name has come up, so, uh, you know, a few times, and so I need to see you. And to be honest with you, I told him I have a mammogram scheduled and I can't make it. Good for you. Because I learned the hard way what happens when you don't keep your doctor's appointment. When am well, we'll, a cancer survivor.
0: We'll, we'll talk about that, yeah.
1: And so I said, so I uh, I think I can be there by four o'clock. And so when I got there, he just looked broken. He looked like he had been crying, and he took me back in his office. And I found out later that he had been, that he had addressed the employees, and he was very upset by what he had found out, and was you know, clearly unfolding literally real time. And so he told me that he had talked to a few people and he found out, you know, what's going on and that there had been uh, a history. And so a lot of what was in the Sports Illustrated article uh, was true. I think the animal house thing, I think, got to him because, you know, some of it had been cleaned up. I mean, the, the person, uh, the CEO was no longer there and hadn't been for a few years. And so he was disturbed by it all and just said, I need you. Literally, the mandate was I need you to come in and transform the culture.
0: You know, one of the things Mark Cuban did as a leader is he was, he was very hands-off, right? Yes. I think in retrospect, he certainly would realize that's part of why this was allowed to continue to happen because he, you know, he, what he says he just didn't know. Right. His he focus was, was
1: on the basketball side.
0: He wasn't aware of a lot of it. Is there a lesson there, too, in leadership? Do you see him more present now?
1: Yes, the the lesson is obviously you got to focus on all aspects of it. I mean, I I actually learned that lesson very early on in my career too. Uh, Not 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 a situation this you know this bad, Uh, but you got to focus on both sides of it. And so he left it to his CEO uh, to run the place. And in some you know in in some aspects he's doing that again. I mean, he's leaving it to me to run it. He knows he can trust me, but we have him very much involved i mean we sit down on a regular basis we go through uh personnel issues i mean he knows what's going on i mean he's not in there making day-to-day decisions right uh, because well, good
0: leaders trust that's the thing i mean good leaders often are, do step back yes. and they do trust right those that they put in place exactly um, exactly so your deal with mark cuban as i understand it you own it i run it <laughs> You the boss?
1: I had to tell him that again yesterday. You did? Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Why? We agree on like ninety nine percent of the stuff that we're working on, but every now and then we don't agree. But then he'll we'll debate it and then he'll say, It's your call to make. I said, Good. And so sometimes I'll go Hmm. the way he wants
0: to go and sometimes I won't. So I I reached out to Mark Cuban, I've known him for a long time and and I just asked him about you. Let me Oh my goodness. Let me quote what (laughs) he said. She is driven, smart, compassionate, and a realist. But those don't compare to her thirst to learn. She does whatever it takes. Oh, I'm touched by that. Oh, my goodness. I want that. Yeah, like I want I'll a send new... you <laughs> the email.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And I am a continuous learner. And that's what I love about this job. I am learning the business of basketball. And I have a lot of people, you know, on the team teaching me the business of basketball. Yep. But my boss is also willing to teach me basketball.
0: And I think it goes to show that you can there's a lot we can learn, right? I yes. mean, yes. You can't teach someone to be on TV and read the teleprompter, right. right? Like I do. You can't teach someone empathy. You can't teach someone some of those innate skills that you had that made you the right person right now for this job. Right. right. And I think he sees that you had that. Yeah. He also he also said to me Ask her about Janelle.
1: (laughs) What is that? G-I-N-E-L-L-E? Okay, Janelle is my middle name. And I also have a niece who actually is named after me, so she hates it that this is the the story. Uh, Janelle is my alter ego. Okay. And I try to keep her hidden. And every now and then she has to come out. And Janelle is not...
0: Pleasant. What is Janelle I can't say like? like? I can't say a bad word on TV. but she, I think on podcasts you can say whatever you want.
1: Okay, she is. She's bad. She's bad. I mean, Janelle, <laughs> Janelle handles her business. And I try to just have firm scent come out. But when Janelle has to come out, it's not good. And people are probably on their way out the door when Janelle comes All out. All right. Let's keep Janelle in the box yeah. today. But you know what? But she comes out when she has to. Yeah.
0: And she's only had to come out a couple of times. So when did Janelle come out? In these first 100 days, you came forward with a 100-day plan. Yes. And for anyone who has not watched your press conference when you you were named, um, it was powerful.
1: Yeah, I had to send a message. I had to send a message that we were serious about uh, what was going on there, uh, that we would uh, model zero tolerance for inappropriate behavior uh, and for false allegations as well. I mean, we got to look at both sides of it, Uh, that we were going to have an agenda for women. We were going to transform the culture. And then from an operational effectiveness standpoint, we're going to just put some things in place on how you run a basic business, which is what I'm used to. And so I want to be serious about that.
0: Coming up, she was an at and executive for more than two decades. How Cynthia Marshall quickly learned the business of basketball. Talk to me about what has what changed in the first 100 days and what you think the biggest marker of actual cultural change is. Because you know, the numbers are impressive. You've increased women in leadership from basically zero right. to at least last I read 47%. Yeah, now we're up to 50 Yeah, I was thinking about uh-huh. that. And so now it's 50%. But as you know, working for corporations, there's a lot of corporate speak. Yes. And there's a lot of talk, oftentimes uh, instead of action. Right. So prove to right. us and the people listening that fundamentally things have changed.
1: Okay. First of all, that's why I didn't do a lot of interviews Um, at the beginning at the beginning because we were just focused on executing on that plan Uh, we established a hotline uh, above and beyond what the nba has so that people could call my chief ethics and compliance officer which is new she's new i mean the position is new i brought her in i worked with her for years Mm -hmm. uh, so we established that because one of the first things we wanted to do was set up a speak up culture establish Mm -hmm. a speak up Mm -hmm. culture Uh, so we set that up Uh, we instilled some values uh in the culture. And so I walked in, it spells crafts, so perfect our crafts. Character, respect, authenticity, fairness, teamwork, and safety, both physical and emotional safety. And so we talked a lot about what that means and that we'll make decisions uh, based on those values. People will work here, they'll have employment, mm-hmm. employ, employment based on those values. Um, we actually uh, laid out a women's agenda Uh, So kind of a leadership development program and identified high potential women that we could move up uh, in the business and to figure out what kind of training and what they needed. Uh, Mark had already uh, brought in a counselor uh, to just help with kind of the trauma and what was going uh, on there. Uh, We even transformed our physical work environment. And we we finally we completed that to my satisfaction uh, very recently. So when you walk in our doors, it's a very open collaborative uh, kind of place where everybody can see not what's closed going on, not closed offices. off, no silos, because we needed to physically break down the silos, mm-hmm. but also emotionally uh, and mentally break down the silos uh, so that people could just feel free sure. about what's going on. And then you could also see what was going on. Uh, in the place. Uh, we established an external advisory council, so the Dallas Mavericks Advisory Council, about 27 different community and business mm-hmm. and civic leaders uh, serving as literally external voices. The DMAC, Yes, letting us know. You did your homework, sister. DMAC.
0: This is CNN. Yes,
1: yes, it is CNN. I love CNN. And so, you know, just really letting us know, you know, what, the, what, what we should pay attention to. They, they give us insight. Uh, so we did a lot of that. And then we actually, you uh, set up performance reviews Mm -hmm. and so people could uh, really understand where they stood. We set up a great training program and then we also looked at gender parity in terms of
0: pay, uh, but
1: then we looked at everybody's was pay. Was
0: there was there a disparity? Was there a discrepancy? I mean, was were men getting paid more than yeah, women there was doing disc- equal work?
1: Yeah, there was a discrepancy, but not. I, I expected uh, bigger discrepancies. Uh, so, so we fixed those really quick. You right sized the
0: women. I, oh. I'm assuming it was the women who were underpaid. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah. actually the very first piece of data I asked the CFO and the COO. See, for.
0: companies have this data. You have the data. You but unless the data. they're compelled or go through a crisis like you guys do, right. you know, in Britain, and, and this is becoming more common in Europe, big companies got have to show. Yeah. Do you think that all big corporations in America should be accountable to the public on pay? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, at AT&T,
1: I actually had the pleasure when I was the SVP of Human Resources and the chief diversity officer, I had the pleasure of doing the, the equity test, uh, on salaries mm. to make sure that we were treating women, people of color, everybody uh,
0: the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Good for you for doing that a while ago. A while ago. I mean, a lot of companies still don't do no, that. No, we did
1: it a while ago. Yeah. And so when I walked in, that was one of the first things I asked for, because that's very telling. I mean, you can tell a lot about the culture of an organization when you look at that, well, that's
0: dollars and cents. And when women start lower, right. they'll, never, they'll never catch up because your bumps are on what you were paid. Exactly.
1: So then you have two issues. You have the pay issue, but then you also have the issue of women in the lower paying jobs. So you've got both issues that, and we totally. had both, that you had to deal with.
0: You quote um, Rory, Rory Disney saying, quote, it's easy to make decisions once you know what your values are. Yes. Can you walk us through how that has guided you? Yes. Um,
1: so again, character, respect, authenticity, fairness, teamwork, and safety. So when it comes to pay equity, literally, if I'm having compensation discussions with my team, I'll just point to the wall under fairness. Are we being fair in how we are treating people? Are we being fair in how we are promoting people? Uh, does that decision reflect respect of that person? Are you doing what you say you are supposed to be doing? Uh, and so we point to those all the time. What I, what I said about the values is they would be on the on the walls, but they would also operate in the halls. So we literally make decisions on the walls based on, in the halls. Yes, we like literally that. make decisions based on that. And my team will tell you, I have shut down things. Because I said, I truly believe that violates teamwork, or I believe it violates respect, and so we're not going to do it.
0: Before we move on to your story of how you got here, I do want to ask you about this, because there's, I think, a very important conversation happening in the league right now. Mm -hmm. And it's over the language used and over the term owners, because you have— about 80 percent of league players that are African-American. Almost all of the team owners are white. Mm-hmm. And there is a discussion right now about the use of the term owner for teams, hearkening back, of course, right. to slavery in the history of slavery in this country. Uh, Draymond Green, the Golden State Warriors, uh, all-star forward, has said the word owner dates back to slavery and, and has. And, and it's it's an important conversation. And I wonder where where do you fall on that? You
1: know, it's interesting. And I um. I respect people's perspectives because people are coming from their own experiences, I mean I've had my own experiences. Uh, I, can, I see Mark Cuban as the owner of the franchise. I see him as the franchise owner, just like I see others as small business owners, mm-hmm. owners of different things and I, and I know there are some issues uh, with that word. I personally don't have an issue mm-hmm. uh, with that word, I have issues with people being uh, mistreated with pay inequities uh, with people not being promoted because they're women because they're they're people of color uh, the word French the phrase franchise owner does not bother me maybe owner by itself mm. would bother me if I worked for an owner who mm-hmm. had that mentality mm-hmm. where he's the owner and we're all the slaves so if they you know if we had that kind of massive mentality working right. at the Mavs maybe that would bother me mark is the franchise owner
0: how did uh, the Donald Sterling episode with the Clippers um, impact the league, do you uh, believe? And and how Adam Silver—like, this was Adam Silver's first big thing when he became commissioner and how he dealt with it. So many people applauded.
1: In fact, that's how I actually—that's the first time I ever saw him. And obviously, I wasn't in the league at the time. Right. I was uh, in my AT&T career, uh, but I lived in California. And I remember that situation quite well. And I remember Adam Silver's comments. And I thought, who is this guy? Yeah. Love him. Yeah. Love people who will step up and do what is right. Mm. That's what character is all about. There you go. Doing the right thing and doing what is right.
0: So for you, for your career pre this at at t you had 14 different jobs. over yes. Was it 36 years? Yes, 36 years. And you, you learned that that in your words, most people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. How did you learn that?
1: Because I was the recipient of bosses and people in my circle who actually cared about me as a person, uh, who cared about me as an employee, uh, who rallied around me, mentored me, sponsored me. And what always made the difference Mm -hmm. was the fact that I I knew they cared about me. Hmm. Uh, Yes, they want good results but I knew they cared about me as a person. And so I try to role model that, uh, that it's all about people. I mean, Mm -hmm. people matter. I mean, that is truly all that matters. You don't get results if you don't take care of people. And so that's why I come to work every day. Literally, that's what gets me up in the morning. The the beautiful,
0: my Angelou saying, essentially, no one's going to remember what you did or right. what you accomplished, but how did you make them how feel? How did you make
1: them feel? And so I come to work every day to make these people feel great. I want them to feel like this the Dallas Mavericks is the best place to work on the planet. And to in order to do that, you got to talk to them. I mean, my first 100 days, I met one-on-one with every single employee. Every single employee. Wow. And I would start the one-on-one off by saying, "Give me your whole life story." <laughs> And then they'd say, oh, this is my sixth season at the Mavs. And i said, were you born in, in here? Like, give me your whole life story. Like, take me back. Take
0: me all the way back. So you take me back. So I want to know who you are. Take me back okay. to Alabama and then shortly thereafter living in public housing in the Bay Area. Okay, uh, born in
1: Birmingham, Alabama, which I had the pleasure of visiting a hmm. few weeks ago. I'm going in May took my mom back. She gave us a civil rights history tour for 48 hours. It was so emotional and incredible. Uh, But my mom and dad left when I was three months old. Um, So they took their four kids, and I was the baby, and got on a train and moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, To quote my mother, she said it was because she did not want her children growing up in the Jim Crow South. Uh, She dealt with colored water fountains, uh, water hoses. Uh, Her best friend saw uh, the KKK actually bomb Uh, their church. I mean so and I learned a lot of this just recently and so she didn't want her kids growing up in that and so they moved to Richmond, California. Uh, We were poor. Now I didn't realize how poor we were probably until I was in college Um, and my mom worked two, three, four jobs uh, to make ends meet. Uh, My father was a character and in fact when I was uh, 11 years old I saw my father shoot a man in the head in self-defense. Uh, because I actually went to the front door kind of watching this uh, episode play out. And so my father shot back when he saw the young mm. man getting ready to and shoot at me. you saw it. Me. I saw it. I was supposed to be in the back room with my uh, five brothers and sisters because all this commotion had broken out at yeah. the front door. Yeah. And I kind of sneaked away. And believe it or not, I was a quiet kid. Not quiet anymore, okay? But believe yeah. it or not, I was a quiet kid. And I would just look around. And so I sneaked past my mom and went to the front door. And that's when my father realized that I was not in the back room but on his side, because a young man pointed a silver pistol, I can see it to this Uh. day, and my father responded. Uh, It wasn't fatal, thank goodness, and it was in self-defense, but needless to say, it just caused a lot of chaos in our neighborhood, to the point where we had to be sequestered in the house for safety purposes, and we couldn't go to school. Mm -hmm. But I was taught at a very early age that education was my ticket out. And I guess my ticket out of poverty, I didn't know how to describe it at that time, uh, but My mother put two books in my hand, a math book in one hand and a Bible in the other. There you go. And said, keep your head in these books. And so I wanted to go to school. So my mother figured out a way for
0: me to go to school. You talk about school as a refuge for you. And and you wanted to be a math teacher. Yeah,
1: it was totally a refuge. And so my mom had a uniformed police officer take Mm. me to school in the seventh grade. So I had Secret Service way back then. Wow. So he took me to school, and he'd either ride the bus with me or he'd put me in his police car. And I just wanted to go and get into my books, especially my math books. I wanted to be a math teacher so bad. Uh, when I got to the ninth grade, Miss Irving was my math mm-hmm. teacher. Uh, and so I wanted to be uh, just like her.
0: Well, you still can't. Yes. I mean, Mark would be sad to lose you at the math but <laughs> You can still, you know. I do a lot of math got, right you, now. You got of course, you yeah. got a lot of years ahead. Yeah. Um, your dad. hmm Really tough on yeah. you, on your siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, I frankly can't believe that you emerged from that experience like seemingly unscathed for the long term. Tell everyone what it was like. Yeah,
1: he was uh, he was abusive, uh, and so we were the victims of domestic violence. And so my mom endured a lot. And when we were 15, he finally left. I mean, it was a, it was a bloody summer, uh, the summer of 1975. And after my brother's high school graduation, the police escorted us away from our house, our unit in the projects, because it was just too dangerous to go back. And my mother's prayer was that we'd make it back home before school started. And we did, we made it back. And my father had taken almost everything out of the house. I mean, almost everything. So our trophies were gone because we ran track. Our trophies were gone, our school closed. Uh, there was a mattress for me and my younger sister to sleep on. And so you can imagine, I mean, my th- mother had three that were you know, gone at that point. So three of us left, me and my younger brother and sister. And we were just screaming and crying. And I'll never forget, my mother just told us to be quiet. She told you to be quiet? And it was quiet, just like right now, it was just quiet. She said, all I want is peace of mind. God will provide. So you can imagine you're the victim of domestic violence. At this point, there's peace. You don't care about material stuff. And so she was letting us know, it's not about the material stuff. The Lord will take care of us. This is a
0: peaceful environment now, and we will be okay. And, and she believed in you so much, but your dad didn't, He would or, or acted like he didn't. He would say these horrible things to you and your sister about how you would make your money. Yes, yeah, that we would be hookers on the street without him.
1: And so uh, my mother says she doesn't know where it came from. But I just told him, I said, um, I'm going to be the president one day. that you know We're going to be the first to graduate from college. I'm going to be the president uh, one day. Mom's getting out of the project. She said, I just started speaking it at 15 years old. Uh, and I, it had to do, I'm sure, with how she raised us. I mean, she raised us to have a lot of hope. She raised us to have a lot of faith. Uh, She raised us to be smart kids. I mean, she kept books in our hands. Uh, My mother literally would, she would make uh, big posters of like the typewriter keys and sit us at the table so we could learn how to type and all that. So she was just totally focused on her kids getting a good education. And fortunately, I ended up going to Berkeley and got full
0: scholarships and I got a great education. So, President one day. Yes. There's an election, I hear, coming (laughs) up, sent. Not that kind of president.
1: I ended no. up being the president of AT&T North Carolina. <laughs> I'm the president and CEO of my own consulting firm. Yes. But and you, the CEO of the MAPS.
0: But in all seriousness, you never ran for public office, or you haven't yet? No. Have when I, I left North
1: Carolina- You thought about it? When I left North Carolina, a lot of people were trying to get me to run for office. I mean, even being the governor of North Carolina. And a good friend of mine, Beverly uh, Purdue, uh, was actually the first female governor in North Carolina. And so, uh, so a lot of people talked to me, and I said, no, I'm going to Dallas, AT&T, Randall. They need me in Dallas, and they're asking me to move,
0: and I have no desire to run for office. Why? Because um, it's so screwed up in Washington? No. I mean that seriously. CEOs sit here and tell me, you know, week after week on this podcast that they feel like they can affect more change in the business world for people than they can in Washington because it's so hard to get anything done.
1: I believe that. I mean, I, I've, I've experienced that. Uh, If you you can really mobilize people locally and focus, then I would prefer to do that. Now, public policy matters. So I'm a big person around public policy. So we need uh, great policymakers, and we have some great policymakers in Washington, D.C. We have some probably who need to leave, uh, but we have some great policymakers uh, there. I don't want to affect policy, and I'd rather execute on the policy. I don't want to make the policy, and go through the grind in Washington, D.C. That's just not who I am. I am just more of a local grassroots, let's get with a group of people. Get it done. And let's get it done.
0: Let's get it done. Four words you live by. Dream, focus, pray, act. act. Which of those is the most important, which has guided you the most? Pray. Literally.
1: Totally. Literally pray. Uh, I was in my prayer closet praying the week before I got this call from Mark Cuban because we were going to move back to North Carolina. And I was literally in my prayer closet when. What's a
0: prayer closet? Well, a place in my
1: house where I go
0: in. No, I like that. I need
1: one of those. Yeah, I go in. It's just like my place where I just, I'm alone. Yeah. And I have some cork boards where if I know somebody's going through a crisis, If I hear about something, I will write that person's name down and I'll put it up on the Mm corkboard. So in there are all these people and things that I Mm. want to pray for uh, because, you know, I got a lot going on. So I I don't want to forget. Right. (laughs) So I'll write it down, put it in the corkboard. And then I just try to spend some time in there every morning, every now and then I'll have to do it at night. But I try to go in there every morning just to get my mind right and to hear what God has for me. I don't do this by myself. I am I am guided by his spirit and literally uh the lord spoke to me and told me not to move Don't go. and as i was getting ready to tell my husband he says oh you've been gone all week i just need you to know i'm really not trying to move back to north carolina and i just i hadn't even told him what had happened in the prayer closet and i said okay that's confirmation and then a week later mark cuban mark cuban called so I'm, i'm meant to i'm meant to be in dallas
0: up next how cynthia marshall's faith helps her navigate the most difficult situations stay tuned So if we could just spend a little bit of time, to the extent you're comfortable talking about your faith and Mm -hmm. what you've been through, um, you've been through it. Um, You're a cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. You lost a child. Yes. So uh, let's begin with fighting cancer and beating it. And beating it
1: by the grace of God and beating it. So I, um, I was told to get a colonoscopy. Uh, literally a month before my 50th birthday, and I didn't do it. And then I was in this big AT&T leadership session called The Corporate Athlete, and it makes you
0: focus. I read the book as well. It's
1: great. It's a great book, and it makes you focus on one aspect of your health, you know, physical, mental, Mm -hmm. spiritual, emotional, just one aspect of it that you want to work on. And the physical part actually came up kind of lower than I thought it would. And they said, just pick one thing that you'll do. And so my one thing was, okay, I'm going to go and have that colonoscopy. I'm going to get that referral slip off my nightstand and go and do that. Still took me about six months to get it done. I had my good old accountability buddy, Frank Jules, who I just actually saw at the airport a couple days ago. And I gave him a big hug. I said, you helped save my life. So he would call me every day, even when I was going through the Starbucks line. You get that thing done? You get that thing done? Look at that. And so I finally got it done, technically in compliance. It was my last day of 50, Wow! my last day of 50, that I had the colonoscopy, and then the next day, my 51st birthday, I was in a, mini- in a mini at work, and I got pulled out, and it was my doctor saying, a surgeon is going to call you, and he had already told my husband a little bit about the, he saw a tumor and all that, and it looked nasty, and so I said, okay, I got to get it out, and I went and saw the surgeon, and he actually told me I could wait a few months, and because he said he had, you know, done this a long time, and so he didn't think it was cancerous. And I, sit, I sat in his office for an hour and a half. I mean, it's a lesson in advocating for your health. I said, no, it's gotta come out. Yeah. It's gross, it's nasty, Wasn't I've seen it, pictures. It was
0: very advanced.
1: Yes, and he says, no, I think it's okay. And then he called, we had surgery. I wouldn't leave his office, so we had surgery. And then he called me the day before New Year's Eve and said, um, I hope you're sitting down. He said, I have some news, it's bad and it's significant. You have stage three colon cancer, one lymph node away from stage four. It's in your lymph nodes and blood vessels. And then the rest is just like an out-of-body experience. Sure. I mean, at that point, it's like I couldn't even hear him. And then when I called my mom in California, her response yeah. was, this is for his glory. She said, this is for God's glory. Really? You have a very public job, you're, you're high, in a high-profile job, and you will tell this story on how the Lord will heal you from cancer, you know, of course, with the help of doctors and all that. Now, I didn't want to hear that exactly at that time, but literally that was her response and it turned out to be the truth. It was very high profile, very public. I was the, the chair of the North Carolina Chamber, so the first woman to hold that position. And we had our big economic forecast forum coming up in a few days. And I was supposed to give Erskine Bowles an award. So it was like this big event. But of course, I don't show up to the event. And they, you know, the the media, as as y'all do. As we do. Continue to ask questions. And finally, the story broke that I was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a very public, brutal six-month battle Mm -hmm. with chemotherapy and all that. And thank God it's been, uh, what, eight years? I'm cancer-free. Yeah.
0: But I think isn't one of the lessons there that if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Like, you didn't go get that checkup. You're busy.
1: Too busy. Right? It's ridiculous. It's so... It's just so irresponsible, uh, not, and I was, I was irresponsible. I should have done that literally on my yeah. 50th birthday.
0: But I don't blame you. My dad died from cancer when he was 49, mm. and he knew he should have been going in to get checked sooner, but he was so busy with his career and with right. us and with the kids and right. with the family, and it, it's what sort of he put himself last, I right. think, and sometimes we need to be selfish and put ourselves, certainly our health,
1: Right, because what I realized going through that situation, and in fact, it was my son. When we told the kids, you know, I have four yeah. kids, we told the kids, and my son, who was in his freshman year in college, he responded, and he joked, but I could tell he was, I mean, he was upset. And he says, no, you're going to be fine. Mom, you're going to be fine. And my daughters were all devastated, and one of my daughters said, oh, you're going to die, and you're probably already dying. It's like Stepmom, the, the movie <sighs> Stepmom, and you're just not telling us. Uh. She was devastated. And so my son told her, he said, no, Shirley, don't say that. Don't say that. He said, look around the house, and I have Christmas stuff everywhere. Like, that's my, that's, <laughs> that's, that's my holiday. That's my jam. Okay? <laughs> that's my jam. The day after Thanksgiving, the whole house is transformed. That's my jam. Down to that's the sheets. That's so okay? great. And he said, look around. He says, Dad says, if anything ever happened to Mom, he's not doing any of this stuff. Oh, no. Like, no sheets, no reindeers, no nothing. He says, so Mom's not leaving. She's got to be around and so he we knew. can have Christmas. And that's when it hit me. I said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What would these kids do? What would my husband do
0: if yeah. I wasn't here? I mean, I wish
1: I had had that thought a couple of years before sure. then, especially my father died from colon cancer oh. the year before I was diagnosed. My goodness. So you think at that point something it would have cl- But, but it, didn't. it didn't. It didn't. So that's why I talk about it a lot. I see people on the elevator. They tell me their age. I say, have you had your colonoscopy? <laughs> I mean, I just, I just, they're looking at me like, I say, I'm have you had I'm going to put it in
0: my calendar you 12, have have 13 years from now. That's right. You've got to have it. So, tell me about Winston. <laughs> Who's
1: Winston? I love Winston. What's Winston? Winston was my chemo pump. I am literally writing a book. You're probably the first person I'm telling this to. Tell I am writing a book called Winston and the Clubhouse. There you go. Winston was my chemo pump, so I'd have to go in and have chemo, and so they put this big pump on me, my husband would laugh because I named it Winston because of the movie How Stella Got Her Groove Back. There you go. And so she got her groove back. That hot her guy. Little, yeah, that hot guy. <laughs> Tay <Tate> Diggs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, he was Winston. He was Angela Bassett's Winston. And so I said, okay, this thing has to give me my groove back. It had all the chemo, the oh chemo my cocktail goodness. in there. So I literally had to give it a name. And That's then I great. called the chemo infusion suite the clubhouse.
0: There you go. Because
1: literally we were in there every day fighting for our lives. It was like, a clubhouse for a team. And we were on the cancer team for that year.
0: Can I ask you, I, you know, I don't know, maybe it's because of my dad or I don't know what, but I always get nervous about dying young or leaving mm-hmm. my children and, you know, what that would mean. And, and so then I feel this immense guilt when I'm not at everything for them, when I'm not doing school pickup every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and do it every day. Right. I know. But you have this amazing way of thinking about things, even post-cancer. Yes. Your crystal balls and your rubber balls. So yes. help alleviate our mom guilt. Oh yeah. And tell us about those. And
1: so something could be wrong with me because I just never. I only have mom guilt. You never you know had why?
0: it. No, I never had it. First of all,
1: the, the honey's have to eat. Okay, so you want to <laughs> eat? Mommy has to go do. I do say that. Do. My
0: daughter says, "Why are you going to work?" And I'm like. Do you like your dinner? <laughs> right. I right. know those are the shoes you're wearing and how about those socks?
1: OK. But so crystal balls and rubber balls. Crystal balls are things they drop, they shatter, they never come back. You cannot put the glass back together. Rubber balls are the things that bounce back. And I have a, a, a good example. Uh, I was asked to go to Washington, D.C. and spend a whole week uh, in Washington, D.C. for AT&T to help lobby on some issues hmm. one year. And I said, I can be there the whole week. I can kind of, you know, put the North Carolina stuff in somebody else's hands. But Wednesday afternoon is the only time I'm not available because my son has his first high school swim meet. We have moved to North Carolina. It was his first high school swim meet. Not his second, not his third, not practice. Yeah. First high school. Yeah. And so I get the schedule and the most important legislators they wanted me to meet with. Wednesday, Wednesday of course. And I said, I'm not going to be here. I got to go back home his first high school swim meet. He went home for the And afternoon. they looked at me, and they're like, what? I said, I'm sorry. And so when my son looked up in those stands for his dad, he saw me, he smiled, and he won that individual medley. And I, and I continue to say to this day, that's because he saw his mom in the stands. There you go. That was a crystal ball to me. And then I went back. The next morning at 6 o'clock, and guess who we met with on Thursday morning? Who? All those
0: yeah. legislators. Because that will wait. Yeah, it will wait. And your kid won't. Yeah,
1: and so the next one, meet, I
0: Good wasn't there,
1: and I didn't go to a whole lot of them. I tried to go to them when I could, but that was a crystal ball. Mm. And so we have crystal balls at home and at work. You can't do everything in the same day. I believe you can have it all. You just can't have it all in the same day day mm-hmm. you got to spread it out and fortunately you know you have help at home and yeah. you have the village thank goodness village. for help
0: i think people don't talk enough about how how important our help and child care is oh you
1: have to have child care i'm actually hoping that we can do something tell me tell me do something with the mavs we haven't uh, we haven't gotten there yet but that's on my that's on my list an in-house daycare
0: center uh, at the Mavericks? that's on my list
1: yes and so what i'm hoping even if it's not like right there in our building yeah that it's close enough to where our employees can have their kids there, so if they want to go see them at lunchtime. And you'll have to pay for it? Yes, that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm working well, on.
0: Well, we all know that you're the boss, so that's what I'm working. it's going to happen. That's what I'm working good on. Good for you. Yeah, that's what good I'm working for on. Good for you. Because so
1: many people are pregnant now, and are, <laughs> and either the women in the office or the, the men are having, you know, their the wives are having babies, and, you know, people are adopting. Just good things are happening, and family is so important. That's one of my
0: values. Well, I think it's where Washington has failed us. I mean, the child, the child care uh expense in this country it's outrageous. is unsustainable yeah, it's, it's outrageous. outrageous it's outrageous and you shouldn't have to be rich to afford good no. child care no zip code shouldn't matter no um, let's talk about your journey with motherhood okay uh, I having had two children myself I mm-hmm. cannot put my head really in the space through what you endured without tearing up yeah um, you suffered i believe it's four four second
1: trimester miscarriages and a daughter who died at 6 months old my god and with all the miscarriages you know you go through where sometimes they want to put the baby on your chest even though you know the baby is going to breathe for another minute or not then they want to give you footprints even when you say you don't want the footprints oh my god. i mean just It just never ends or you have the miscarriage, but you go home because they forgot to give you medication and all of a sudden you're pumping milk, but you know there's no baby. I mean, so it's all that kind of stuff uh, that I went through. And after the fourth miscarriage, we just said no more. And then we said, okay, we'll try one more time. And then that's when I had a daughter who was born four months premature. Uh, Her name was Carolyn with a K because uh, my husband's name is Ken, so we wanted her to have the KJM initials, so Carolyn Janice Marshall. They said she would live two days. Now, this was after I had been in the hospital almost upside down on magnesium, which was quite an experience, I mean, the hallucinations and all that. And finally, I just told my husband they need to stop the medication because whatever the Lord has planned for this baby and for us is what's going to happen. I, I, I can't live like this. And so literally within hours after they stopped the magnesium, um, I went ahead, went into premature lab- labor and had her at uh, 21 and a half weeks. And they said she lived two days. She lived six months. And in fact, I was uh, reading an article at her bedside one day about the condition she had, chylothorax, where having you, know, you have trouble processing uh, your fluids and all that and so i ran reference on an article and ended up calling this guy dr chopra in fresno california and told him about her condition and he says okay so the pleural peritoneal shunts didn't work and i said what are you talking about yeah what is that and so then he's telling me about this procedure that they're doing in virginia that i didn't know about that literally you should do in the first two months of life and she was four months old at the time Uh, so what i do feel good about is she was here for a reason So they obviously learned about that, so they can save more babies. And in fact, one of her doctors uh, actually spoke at her service and there was like this huge service. So you'd have thought she, I mean, she was a princess. It was a huge service. And he spoke at her funeral and he said, Carolyn Marshall was here to teach us that we're not God, that there's some things that we still have to learn and be open to. And I still communicate with those doctors and all that. Um, I've only had to go in that hospital once when my son ended up having a hernia. And my husband called to tell me to meet him at Children's Hospital in Oakland. And I froze. I was in my San Francisco high-rise building, and I said, I can't meet you there. And I said, I cannot walk into 747 52nd Street. I just I just can't. I just can't. I said, the last time I was there, I t- my kid came out in a body bag. I can't do it. And he said, you're going to have to. Because, like, <laughs> we got other kids now. And so I get there, and I'm so just disturbed just walking in there. Uh, My son's name is Kenneth Anthony, because when we adopted him, we gave him my husband's first name. And I went in and I said, I'm here to see Anthony Marshall. He's having a hernia. He's going to have surgery and they can't find him. And I'm like, okay. So then I walk out of the hospital and then I stop and I go back in. I said, oh, Kenneth, try Kenneth. Yeah. (laughs) I was just so upset. I can't even remember the kid's name. Just walking back in there just did something to me. And there are things still now that I just can't do. Uh, I don't go to a whole lot of baby showers. Uh, I mean, I like them, but I don't just yeah, go course. to a whole lot of them. I mean, So there's stuff, that, I mean, there's still trauma there. Um, but that is not how the Lord chose to make our family. And so what we finally decided is, okay, the Lord has a way to make our family. And then we show up to this adoption meeting that we, I didn't even want to be at. But the saved rest is, a, you saved other lives. The rest is history. So now we have four wonderful children, who all have their sad, pitiful, we need to do a whole story. We need to do a whole segment on adoption. Because these kids have gone through a lot, trauma, abandonment, abuse, neglect, all that. And they're happy kids. And I keep one picture of my family in my office, just one, just literally one picture. That's the only thing that's personal in my office. And it's a picture of my kids, and they have these big smiles on their face. And the reason that's my favorite picture, because in all of their cases, the social workers told us they would never smile or be normal. And they are smiling, and they are normal, and they are superstars, and they're just normal kids, monsters, just normal kids.
0: How do you sit here and reflect in this way and have such a positive attitude, given all you've gone through? I mean, I think so many people, I think I would probably just wallow in it and feel so bad for myself, and yet you... I mean, I hear you blast Ain't No Mountain High Enough yes, in your office. Yes, yes, yes.
1: That's my song. That
0: Where does this light and this strength come from?
1: It is. It comes from above. I mean, it's God. He, the Lord has brought me through so much. I remember after my daughter passed away and my husband went to Fresno to see his folks. And I said, I didn't want to go. I just want to stay at home. And literally he pulled away that Friday evening and I laid on my stairs and I was still laying there crying when he came back home on Sunday. He said, you have the same clothes on. He says, have you moved? And I, I, I laid there for literally 48 hours
0: mm-hmm.
1: crying. And then it was just as if the Lord was just letting me know just to cry it out and give it to him. And once I got up, that's when the healing started. And I just started to work my way through it. I give everything to the Lord. I mean, literally, when I, when I was growing up, they would say, put it on the altar and leave it there. And so my, and mother, did. my mother would always say, okay, why are you wrestling with that? I mean, you're supposed to leave it there. Yeah. You don't put it down there, pick it back up, tell the Lord to help you work through it, tell him to take it, and then you pick it back up. Either you're going to handle it and make a mess of it, or you're going to let him handle it. And I finally learned in my life to let him handle it. My husband had brain damage when uh, right I after um, my, a few months after my daughter died, as we were adopting Anthony, and he literally had to learn how to walk and talk again. They said he would never walk or talk again. And so went to a big church convention, prayed our way through it. And the doctor said he's about 85 percent back to normal. And I always joke and said that's less brain damage than he had when I (laughs) married him. So it's okay. (laughs) Uh, But you you get through it because I don't take it on me. And I mean, I'm not not superhuman. I have just learned over the years and in going through so much and watching my mother. I've learned literally how to give my problems strength to the Lord. I mean, that's where my strength comes from. It comes from above. I'd be a mess. I mean, I would just be a total mess Mm -hmm. trying to handle all this by myself. I I couldn't deal with it. I mean, four trimester miscarriages and a daughter who died, a husband with brain damage, kids that have all kind of, you know, trauma that's happened to them, um, things that have happened to me. I would be a mess if I didn't know how to cast my burdens to
0: the Lord. Talk about perspective, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So given all of that and this extraordinary personal journey in life and this extraordinary remarkable career, what in the end will tell you I've succeeded? Every job I've ever had, so
1: like my 14 jobs at AT&T, I ask the same in, in my job now at the maps, I ask the Lord two questions every time I take a job. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? I need to be real clear about what is it that I'm supposed to do. And I know here at the Mavs, it's to make it a great place to work and to provide a great entertainment experience for our fans. So I know that. I'm clear about what I'm supposed to do. And then I say, Lord, who is it that you want me to touch? And yes, there are thousands of people and hundreds of people, but who is it exactly that you want me to touch? Either they're going through something and you want them to know that it'll be okay. There's somebody you want me to touch. And once I kind of zone in on who it is, and it could be a couple of them, then my mission is clear. And so when it's all said and done, I just want somebody to say, I'm better because she was here, that she left it better than she found it, that I am a better person. I was able to go through something because I met her. That's all I want. What are you most proud of in your life? I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of these four kids who have probably gone through more in life than I've gone through, Um, and they're thriving. Uh, some of them have their, you know, their own struggles, uh, but they are remarkable children, and I'm proud of the fact that the Lord chose me to actually raise these four honeys. He could have chosen anybody, but somehow we ended up with them. What do you want your kids to say about you one day? I want them to say the same thing everybody else says, that, that I made their life better, mm. that when they were going through tough times, they got through them because they talked to Mom and mom was there, that their friends were able to get through things because they came to our house and
0: they spent the holidays with us. With all those Christmas decorations. Oh, every... Down to the down sheets. Down to the sheets. Way to make me down feel inadequate. Oh, no, i am not the- do it. You, you just tell me <laughs> okay, when I'm gonna I will i going to hold you up. to that. I will
1: show up. You will. Oh, you'll just love it. There's something just festive <laughs> uh, about it. Something festive about it. My mom
0: was pretty similar. Yes. So, finally, phase. One in career was mm-hmm. AT&T. Yes. Phase 2 is now the Mavs with yeah, a whole phase, lot of parenting in between there. Yes, phase 2 was supposed to be a college president. I was literally So is that is that phase 3?
1: Yeah, it's probably phase 3. Oh, I love the kids. I don't know. I want a small college where kids are struggling to even go there and then I just want to create an environment where they can go for free Mm
0: -hmm. and get a
1: great education because I truly believe above and beyond the grace of God a good education literally saved my life educators saved my life and so I want to provide just an oasis a safe haven for kids who normally wouldn't go to college because they can't afford it to just show up and have a remarkable educational experience and get launched in life i want to do that one day
0: and you 50 most powerful women in business look at you isn't that crazy it's not crazy it's (laughs) it's deserved i cannot wait to to watch what you do through this and what you do next and marshall thank you so much thank you so much i appreciate it god bless you thank you Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Boss Files. I would love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode and people you want to hear from, so leave a review and follow me on social media at Poppy Harlow CNN.
1: Now, streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com/slash Country.